And we're back. We're going to print your games, the podcast about what's new and awesome in 3D printing for gaming. I'm one of your hosts, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, and I'm joined by... Kristen Sowards, also known as Seventh Mastery. Kristen, this has been like my... It always takes me a few weeks to recover from major conventions. And this mm-hmm. felt like the first, po- even though it's not, because the aftermath of Gen Con was so rumbly, this felt like my first week of of slowdown. How about you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I shouldn't say slowdown. I've been going full steam. I've got so many projects in the, in the hopper after Gen Con. Mm-hmm. But like, it's the first time I think I felt like maybe in control. Oh, goodness. <laughs> the first week back was just like a screaming uh, roller coaster of amazing, mm-hmm. amazing, cool stuff. But like now I'm starting to get the thing like whenever you, you ideate a whole bunch of new projects and you do a bunch of crazy stuff, there's going to be stuff that falls off. Right. There's going to be mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't happen. And I think most of the like noncommittal and like, um, you know, mind changes, et cetera, have happened. And now mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of locked in on, OK, this is the stuff that's really going to happen. And I'm really going to get it done. Nice. And, um, you know, still, of course, trying to get out some really cool prints also yeah for me almost all my printing has been work related this last couple of weeks Mm -hmm. uh, because evidently i'm not going to be con free for the rest of the year i have heard yeah i just got word that i am required to attend essen spiel in germany required it's he's required to go to the coolest european gaming convention everybody feel really bad for him no, this this is a work assignment that I was given. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm sure it's it's terrible. I mean, you're going to be working a booth and you're going to be exhausted, but it's going to be really cool and I'm super jealous. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be organizing a booth. <laughs> this is going to be super stressful. That part's fun. That oh, part's it is kind of fun. Um, but I, yeah, I don't have like all the details or anything like that, and I can't. I shouldn't give all any of the details beyond that I am going right now. But a lot of that has been like, well, as you can imagine, we need miniatures and stuff. And so like, I have been like printing demo armies and mailing them to Europe and like getting yeah. ready for all the That's things cool. that we're going to need to, uh, uh I wish y'all had a bigger, b- bigger, uh, budget. I'd go be your booth, babe. Oh, I know. <laughs> and like a lot of it was a lot of the stress actually was just see if I could get my passport in time. Cause like, mm-hmm. this is not new news. For yeah. Me, you were not sure. You were because, not sure. Yeah. I found out like weeks and weeks ago that we were going to, we were going to do this, uh, but I had to get my passport. And mm-hmm. for those of you who are not in the know right now, the passport queue take, is yeah. clogged. All takes a crap. minute. Takes a minute. I had the same problem with my cruise last year. Uh, the first cruise I ever went on, and we weren't sure we were going to get them in time. And then it got rescheduled because, you know, the the doom. Yeah. Well, thankfully, it only took me four weeks to get mine. I uh, did the expediated oh, nice. thing, which is which was very expensive. And then the expediated shipping, which was mm-hmm. also more expensive. Um, and I didn't get anything wrong on the forms because evidently the big delay that will yep. screw you if, over if you, is if you get anything anything wrong, wrong. Yeah, it's messed up. Then you have to get back in the back of the line. Yeah, yeah, it was way more than that. Uh, James and uh, David Wickham are confirming that uh, that they, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. lot usually a lot longer. So like, I'm gonna be you know I, I'm super hyped because like. I haven't gone out of the U.S. before, so this will be my first trip to Europe, and it will be to the biggest gaming con in Europe. And there's 
the European gaming scene is just so awesome mm-hmm. that I'm always jealous when I hear about it. Yeah. Um, because the tons and tons and tons of indie creators over there in the miniature space, especially that we occasionally get a few of them that decide to spend the extra to show up at Gen Con or, or Adepticon or something like that. Um, right. But they can't bring all their physical stuff. Like I follow a lot of them on Instagram and, mm-hmm. and, you know, other social media platforms. And there's some of these people have like massive, cool castles and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I want to play with that, but they're not going to ship that over here. Very rarely. And I'm also very curious, of course, about the 3D printing side of things that we will see over there because, mm-hmm. you, as we mentioned, Gen Con was just covered up in 3D printing. Yeah. Like it was just like behind everything. And over there, uh, I imagine that they are going to have some amazing displays and stuff. Mm-hmm. I would very much like my ultimate dream is to like see if I can 3D print a life size sci fi gator. Sci-fi get like the the, the big uh, alligator lizard With dudes the rocket launcher on the show. Yeah, okay. I would love to do that. Like I've, I've been watching a bunch of creators that have been doing those life-size prints and stuff. Like Uncle Jesse's been doing a life-size Magneto, and there's some creators that have been doing uh, some life-size Halo figures, and then of course the, a, a bunch of loot fans have been doing like some of their graveyard sets as like Halloween decorations, um, and. The, the 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 just audacity of doing a life size 3D print is awesome, but also the fact that it's even possible in our hobby to do it makes me want to do it just to see if I can. It's kind of like when I made my when I modded out and fixed up uh, that that old Game Boy that I don't need. I didn't need a new Game Boy, right? Because oh yeah, I have a Steam Deck and a billion other devices that can do. I'm everything sure no one needed that R and D Studio uh, Drow Assassin six foot tall, but it looked cool when they did it. Yeah, I just want to do it to do it, and then I'll figure out where I put it. Yeah. Oh, Blessed Seven says would like to do a life size of one of their own aliens. Just get one of those printers we were talking about that you can sit in, and I'm sure it'd be fine. Hey, James. Hey, David. Hey, Blasted Semiflinge. Good to see you all in chat again. As a reminder, this is uh, recorded live, and we stream it on the YouTubes and now on my Twitch also. Ooh. What's your Twitch address? We should get uh, people to follow you. Seventh Mastery. Seventh enough. Mastery on Twitch. Go check Just it out. Just like it is on TikTok. We will link it in the show notes. You will yeah. give me the link afterwards. We'll do. We'll do. Uh, but like, so like I've been printing a bunch of uh, of extra minis of like the uh, the starter armies. Uh, so like Robot Legion, Eternal Dynasty, Mummified Undead, and Saurians. Big old lizards. Stompy, stompy lizards. Um, and also found out that mailing stuff to Europe mm-hmm. can be wildly expensive or not very much. Yeah, so it depends on to, where you shoot it. Shoot it. I to. know. So I got this cool. Like I, I, I packaged it up all nice, um, like mm-hmm. and, and compact. Like this wasn't a huge package. I think it was like fourteen inches on one side and like eight inches square on the other. So like not a very big package. And it's mm-hmm. all subdivided in the in the like sub cartons for structure and all that jazz to protect the minis, so that they make the trip over there, hopefully in one piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to get them over there, I had to ship it. So I was like, okay, UPS. UPS is how you ship packages, right? Mm-mm. So I went to UPS and they said five hundred dollars. Yeah, no, you don't. Do and that. I'm like, oh my gosh, five hundred dollars. 
I was going to say something, but Blasted Samoflange did it first, which is that it's actually cheaper to ship to Europe than it is to Canada. Wow. I don't and understand I, it. I didn't realize that. And a lot of my backers from my first Kickstarter were in Canada. And oh, goodness, did that cost a lot of money. So I went to the good old United States, States Postal Post Service yep. to ship these 3D printed minis. And then I had to explain. Now, I went to my very local post office. <laughs> and I live in the middle of nowhere. You had to Kentucky. declare what it was. And they were like, what? I had to, I had to, first I had to explain to them what it was. And yeah. then I had to teach them how to fill out a customs form because they had never yep. filled out a customs form before. And it took me over an hour sitting there talking to this really sweet old lady who was like all the patients in the world and very amused at what we were doing. And yeah. even like other people were walking into the post office. And you have to understand if you've ever seen like, old country Waltons or anything like that. This is the vibe. Like it's like, oh hey John, get a look at this. He's sending something to Portugal. <laughs> have, you, have you ever even heard of Portugal? I've <laughs> had a few backers in Portugal. So, so I have. So I had yeah, to walk I had to walk her through how to fill out customs forms and like get it all shipped out. And I hope, but they had the custom forms somewhere, right? They just yes, had they go, had like, to dig them out of storage yeah. and dust them off. <laughs> I may have seen this. Oh my gosh. It was so fun and so wonderful. Um, and then I went to the, the little dairy bar afterwards to get lunch. So I completed the country experience. While nice. I was at it. Do they recommend sending a telegram instead? That's funny. <sighs> I, I think it's interesting that like uh, you didn't uh, tap a local fabricator over yonder, but I did, you didn't know one of them. These were the painted sets. Oh, so this is your actual like army. Your yeah, demo the ones armies. that you saw the pictures of. We was like, we need to make sure we have painted minis for Spiel. Sure, and the sure. best way for me to do it was to just send them the ones that we painted. You already had the, the ones uh, that Tony apparently painted. The yeah, mummies. Tony helped paint with t Tony and David. Yeah. Uh, they met me up at TL Max and we yeah, spent the in evening Wisconsin, painting right? minis in Wisconsin. Yeah. Mm -hmm the day before the con we painted over 100 miniatures i remember the pictures mm -hmm. it was fun i liked it and i guess i'll have to do it again now um because i'm assuming that army will stay in europe with probably with uh is is uh, anybody else from opr going to be at the booth oh yeah there's going to be lots of people i can um, now i have to stop talking uh, no i understand i understand yeah, yeah. I have you, to stop. you got you got private stuff to keep to yourself. Right, but right. needless to say, it'll probably stay there with one of the OPR people that already lives in Europe. Right. Yeah, I don't see the uh, I don't see a reason to ship them back when I can just print another print set. And make some more, yeah. Yeah. yeah Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Especially you, since like third edition's coming out. So you, you know. are the delayed fabricating just <laughs> <The laughs> what is it? Distributed fabrication system? It's it's barren. Yeah. Well, I mean the Saturn and the Saturn three just like I can throw an entire like an entire one of these armies fits on the build plate and just bop two hours later yep. done. Um, and the, like really the painting them is the slow part of all this. Uh, David Wickham's asking, are the ones he did going to Europe? I suspect they yeah, are. Of course. Yes. Yes. They are all in Europe now, David. You're, you are now a international artist, David. <laughs> How does it feel? Oh, so. On to the topic at hand. Yes. Do you did you get a Jupiter, David? Did you buy a Jupiter? 
Mm, you need to tell maybe. us in chat if you bought a Jupiter. I still cannot justify Jupiter, especially now that like the 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 resolution of the new printers are so, so high. yeah. I was about to say Jupiter's it, resolution is so low compared to them. Yep, and it has the rectangular pixels, right? Mm-hmm. Which could cause some light distortion. I'm sure it's fine, but I mean, if you're going to be printing things humongo scale, then I get it, but not for not for production like we do. Uh, right, it just right. wouldn't make sense. I mean, just the the drop in quality is just not worth it at that scale. But speaking of the drop in quality, moving on to our topic, mm. uh, we were going to. We talk about all these cool things we're doing with our game groups and mm-hmm. all these cool games we're playing and all the stuff that we're 3D printing for these games. But, like, the sad fact is, having a game group is a privilege. Like, it is, we are very fortunate to have, yes. in the positions we are, where we have multiple game groups and can play just about any game we want, anytime we want. Um, as that is. The, Pretty rare, actually. Yeah. As one of the community leaders of my local gaming community, if I want to play um, Scythe tomorrow, I can make it happen. Wow. If I wanted to play Flamecraft, the, the cool dragons do cooking board game, mm-hmm. I could get one of those by this weekend and we could play that. Hmm. Um, if I wanted to play raccoon airship pirates which is a, a did you buy that it looked i almost bought that i didn't buy it only because i couldn't find the booth on the last day and i got lost and i had to go yeah um yeah. i would have bought that uh, i had every intention to go buy at raccoon airship pirates the rpg uh, that was at the indie press revolution uh booth and if i wanted to play raccoon airship pirates i can get a group to play a raccoon airship pirates but yeah. There have been polls like um, over on Discourse Miniatures. She did a video recently uh, where she talked about this very thing where for Warhammer specifically, but this applies to a lot of different game groups, like 90% of the people who are identify themselves as in the Warhammer fandom do not play the game regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And a ton of people who are really, really good painters mm -hmm. don't ever use them. Right. And so many people, I know this from my time at No Direction, like they're humongous fans of Pathfinder, but can hardly get a game. Um, Mm -hmm. Or there's just so what do you do when you want to play games? But you know, you're not in a game group, you have to make one. You do. If you build it, they will come. I'm just kidding. Sometimes they don't. (laughs) So sometimes, so this is an unfortunate reality. That sometimes you have to be the change you wish to see. It's true. And one of the best ways to play any game is to organize and get ready and get ready to play it and actually make the do the work to get the groups together, to get the places together and actually do it. And this does take a little bit of an extroverted tendency to do it. And I understand that that's not easy for all of our listeners. Mm hmm. Uh, so we're going to talk about what's involved in that and also to tie it into the episode, things you might want to print for getting together your first games with these things as well. So at least we tie a little bit into the theme of our show. I but, mean, you're also going to be printing things 
for these games you get people together oh, so i think it's still very very adjacent to our stuff yeah because you can't like, play these cool games if you yeah. ain't playing these games well like for instance and this is me shilling for you and i know you can't do that but i can because i'm not affiliated currently with opr and uh, i will say this uh, opr is really popular conceptually but like you have to do a little legwork to find a shop that lets you play or you have to be willing to host at your house mm-hmm. and um you know, I think that's one of the first things you do is, is have to scope scope out that location, right? Right. So, which brings me to the first thing. The first thing you need to do when you're wanting to build up a game group is you're going to need players. And there's a few ways to go about it. But if you're new to an area, especially like let's say you're moving into a new area and you, mm-hmm. you this is your first time in this town, you need some players. And this is going to take a little bit of work. You're not yep. going to be playing your cool game next weekend. No, if you you really want to get that raccoon airship pirates game together, okay, this is a game that's not super. I'm using this because it's a game that's not super popular. That and it is isn't an overt bias in the community. Mm-hmm. However, if any of you creators want to make us raccoon pirates with airships, we'd be interested. I think. Look at you, arcane miniatures. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So you want to get your game of air, airship pirates together, and you just moved into a new area. You need some gamers. But where do you meet gamers? Well, thankfully, there are some options available to you. But my favorite way to suggest this is to go play other games that mm-hmm. other people have put together. So go to your friendly local game store. Figure out know, which ones are your friendly ones. Awkward, uncomfortable local game store, depending on where you live. <laughs> and find out when their board game night is, when their Magic the Gathering night is, when their D&D game is. And just get start integrating yourself into that community. Start mm-hmm. showing up for Adventure League night. Start showing up for board game night and like making acquaintances. The cool thing about being a nerd and playing tabletop games is it is an instant hack to making friends in new locations at a rapid pace. You know what also helps accelerate that? Mm-hmm. When you show up with really cool 3D printing, printed minis you painted, and some mm-hmm. people are like, wow, what's that? And I'm like, well, I use this for D&D, but it's actually from this other game. Cue conversation. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to play other people's games and to show up for the events they organize, they are much more likely to respond to your call to arms when it mm-hmm. is ta- when you sneak in that raccoon airship box into the into the table. And you're like, "Hey, gang, let's give this a try." So yeah, the yeah. first thing you need to do is make some games. If you've already got some gamers in your area that you know, then you've already got like a leg up. You you have a, you know what the local gaming groups is. Um, you can you can talk to them and try to convince them. But the basic gist is you've got to start making some connections. And the yep. only way to make connections in the gaming world is to start playing games with people. I have a second suggestion, actually. Okay. If you are fortunate and privileged enough to live near a community with a convention, even a small one, mm-hmm. go to the convention, go to the game panels, mm-hmm. and ask the question during the panel, Hey, how would I get a game group together? Now, you, the panelist isn't going to necessarily have a great answer for you, but there will be people in that room who are going to be like, well, I'm looking for a game group. And I have met so many people who want to play different games just by like, how would you manage a gaming group or whatever the question is, it, just the, that community. And they're at least probably local enough that they could go to the same local com- you know, convention. Now, I understand that that's not going to work for everybody. Right. Yeah. And, and, 
having a local con is itself a privilege right uh, absolutely it, absolutely especially one that has panels because there's lots of like local cons that are like one day swap meets basically sure, sure same thing with demoing though or or exchanging you know stuff you can always have your your side card of well there's some 3d printed minis i wouldn't mind parting with but they're for this other game again just kind of be like you know showing off the wares Khajiit mm. has minis if you will play. <laughs> <laughs> that is the next key, key is you've got to do a lot of the work. Uh, you need to make it is in when I'm design when I was in in web design for for commercial websites where we were designing storefronts, uh, a common phrase that we used was every time you introduce a friction point, you lose half your customers, like mm -hmm. half the people that everybody is basically looking for an excuse to say no at all times. Sure, sure. And every time you give them the opportunity to say no, they will. half of them will. Yeah. And so it's a long haul to get them all the way to the game table. In fact, it is famous that the final boss of D and D is scheduling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a hundred percent true. Even I've been doing one shots with people on TikTok, just mm -hmm. other TikTok uh, content creators. And boof, that is some cat wrangling. Although we've actually had a couple already. So I feel pretty good about it, but, um, like trying to match up like 72 people's schedules. <laughs> it's been crazy. This means that if you're in a, wanting to do a role-playing game, you're probably going to have to be the game master at least the first time. Yeah, that's Which true. Which means also you need to know the game and know the rules and get all the accoutrement that you need to do it. And that does mean a little bit of a risk. Like uh, how many of us have bought games that we never actually got to play? I'm literally looking at my gaming wall right now mm -hmm. so many and if you are a interested in some board game or war game well board game board game you're at least your life is a little bit easier it, i find that it's a lot easier to get a board people to try out a board game than just about anything else because it's just a contained experience mm -hmm. but you do need to be the one that knows the rules mm -hmm. and can efficiently teach those rules in a quick fashion that is a skill that takes a little bit of practice yeah, absolutely. And I think, though, if you can do it successfully, you will establish yourself as an authority and then your opinions will be given weight to people when they start to go, oh, well, what else do you like to play? And you're like, mm -hmm. well, look at my pile of tentacles and horrors, you know. And... <laughs> oh, no, not the tentacles and horrors. <laughs> but do have a pile and have a pile of some, you know, nice, boring guys, too. I, I'm, I think you're heading towards this and uh, maybe I'm preempting. But if you already have a couple extra armies for a skirmish game or something to introduce people to and have them ready to go, that is huge. Right. It, it definitely reduces that barrier of entry. I am definitely heading that direction. If you want to introduce people to a war game or, or a tabletop game of that matter, you really need to have... Nothing does better to pitch a game like that than having two painted armies ready to go against each other and setting that up and say, hey, could you play this game with me? And then people will just be thrilled to get the chance to play a game with a cool setup of terrain and board and armies. I mean, you're going to paint them anyway, right? Like that's, sure, that's what yeah. most people do in this hobby instead of play the game um, is paint them up minis. I've got so many painted armies over here for, for various fantasy games. Mine aren't organized as armies because I use them mostly for D and D and stuff, mm -hmm. but like, I definitely have at this point, like a whole huge chaos army. I have a whole huge alien whatever army though my cat destroyed some of my mind flayers the other day 
uh yeah but like yeah i have enough to definitely field a bunch of other things some some cyberpunk stuff that i printed up for some starfighter actually which would also be a good skirmish team and if you're doing the rpgs having the cool minis and the cool accoutrement will will make people at least catch their initial interest the novelty of the nice looking terrain and the cool miniatures does and is is it like it's a toy and that people like to play with toys and that breaking that initial interest barrier is the hardest part of this. I know this, that like when I play like Pathfinder a lot or any sort of RPG, like I have a collection of like over 5,000 painted miniatures for RPGs. Mm -hmm. And that has been a humongous asset for getting things done and, and getting people to pay attention. I remember um, when we were running uh, Rain of Winter and I pulled out, I had to make, I said, Hey, I'm sorry, gang. This fight called for four Dula hands, but I only have three Dula hand miniatures. <laughs> only have three. That's... And then my, it was like, I was, they were just impressed that I had any Dula hand miniatures. Right. right. To go. I, I think I only have two, so I'm sort of jealous. Anyway. Yeah. Um, there's another piece to this too, because we're, we're talking about physical space. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to do this, you're going to make the minis, you're going to have the thing. You also need to have your, your place, your play space. Right. So where and, do you play? Yeah, exactly. Where do you play? The options well, are your house, your house, yeah, if you which, or your apartment or whatever your home domicile is. Your if you're lucky Airbnb. enough to have a cool game room that is conveniently located, and you have people you trust to bring over to your cool game room, uh, then you can do that, and that works wonderful uh, when that's the case. I love playing here in the in the uh, tavern. Like I yeah. built this place to do that. Um, you can play at your friendly local game stores. Uh, they usually have out. They usually are very accommodating of people showing up and playing games and scheduling games. I have some caveats. Uh huh. If your friendly local game store sells Warhammer or other similar miniature games to the things you are printing, mm -hmm. use some tact, folks. <laughs> yeah, don't brag about. Yeah, that's a big key. If you're playing at your game store, you need to make it so that your game store is glad to see you. So I print all kinds of my stuff. My mm -hmm. game store never cringes when I walk through the door because I buy so much stuff at that game store and encourage people to buy things at that game store. So yeah, how I've smoothed that over for myself, um, there's a local store called Gajo mm -hmm. and I never get the hairy eyeball because I go in there and I buy my painting supplies there mm -hmm. and they know I'm going to buy paint every time I walk in the door. Um, and they've no doubt that I am a paying customer who wants paint. And because I print so much, I buy a ton of, I pay way more paint than your average Warhammer player. Right. And I'm sure yeah. their margins on it's the paint. It's because you don't have to spend it all on six space Marines. Right. I don't have to, I, I can use my, my, uh, what is it? Leviathan box set or mm -hmm. what's our other one we use? Uh, horse heresy box. I get that all back and yeah. I can spend it on paint and still have money to buy D and D shit. So yeah, I have, sorry. I have bought all of the like really cool brushes and handles and all the little tools and stuff at my local game store. Basically the entire army painter section has gone home with me pretty much right over yeah. the, over a couple weeks. Yeah. It's like <laughs> that. And then a lot of the Vallejo also went home. With so me. many dice boxes. Like I, the, those little those little cubes filled with thirty six uh, tiny d sixes. I bought so many of those. The disintegrate cube is what we like to call that because that's your disintegrate spell dice. <laughs> when you're throwing all those, if they fail their save. Um, what I was going to throw out though is, uh, yeah, make sure you're doing that. You're having a good relationship. If it's not paint, then maybe look at getting your terrain there. 
mm-hmm. um, some some sort of thing because you know space occupied in a game store costs money, and mm-hmm. if you're competing, especially in a, in a multi-use game store that also sells like card games and magic. Mm-hmm. That's some high ticket to compete with. So definitely make sure you're doing that. Or if this, if they sell food, you know, yeah. buy their energy drinks or food, whatever they do, just make sure that you're giving them some money that will really go a long way to getting some, some comfortability having you in the space. Yeah. Like I have a rule that I never go into a game store without leaving with something. Mm-hmm. Just, it just in general, if I'm in a lot, I, when I travel around, I travel around a lot, both for mm-hmm. work and for pleasure. Yep. Um, and I'm always hitting local game stores just to see what the local gaming community is like and now that i do work for opr i'm also like scouting and seeing like hey when we start getting uh how do i would i start encouraging play of our game here uh so it's it's also reconnaissance but um i like I, I, I always buy something absolutely something if nothing else it's usually like a paintbrush or a dye or a couple of bottles of paint um, yeah but like it, it might be something small or it might be something big, um, but I make sure that I don't leave the store without giving them some money. Yeah. And that, the, if, especially if you want to talk with the game store about the subject, doing it right after making that purchase mm-hmm. opens them up a lot more than before you made that purchase. Absolutely. And you do have to also be sensitive to their schedule. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times, like you're going to run into Friday night and you're going to think, oh, I'm going to run, run OPR for my buddies or, you know, Kings of War or whatever it is. And you show up and it's FNM, you know, Friday yeah. Night Magic. You are out of luck because yeah. those tables are making way more money with magic cards than you're ever going to give them. Like, remember step one when I told you to like start pay, jo- joining the local groups? That was your chance to learn what the local schedule was and yep. where the holes in that schedule. Maybe are. play with those magic people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember, magic had blind box menus for a while, mm-hmm. and you would have like a little life counter or like a token. Instead of a token, you'd put out your little angel minis and stuff. Yeah, you could do that with your 3D printed stuff. Mm-hmm. And people be like mega floored by that. And you could be like, yeah, I do this sort of stuff all the time. There's so many cool like Magic the Gathering stuff uh, available for 3D printing, like deck boxes and oh, yeah. cool little mana card dividers and like all uh, sorts of things. Plus one, plus one counters, uh, loyalty mm-hmm. tickups for your Planeswalker counters. There's mm-hmm. so much stuff you can print for Magic. Yeah. yeah. And if, they, if you show up with that, playing with that stuff, you're definitely going to get some attention. Yep, and then you're gonna get that nice lead into you know bringing them over to, you know whatever it is. <laughs> David says, or you could just play with the 40k decks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could do that too. Um, I had some fun with those decks uh, when I got to both. play Commander. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now the other location that you can play are community spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on where you're at, you'll either find a community center or your local library will often have spaces that are available. Sometimes you have to pay for the spaces. Sometimes they're just available for free if you just mm-hmm. book them. Um, but that's also a very common place that people get together to play games on, on the regular. Like I know that like my local library has like little meeting rooms that you can uh, book Arstos out too. well yeah. in advance. And they don't cost you anything, but you just have to make sure you reserve them and you usually have to have your card renewed and it'll be like attached to your card but here's my advice on this one clean up after your group if you leave this is true space that isn't yours yes but like if you want to get in good with the librarian make sure that space is pristine make sure you've got you know even go like maybe gather up some loose books and take them back like hey these are some reshelves i just was on my way back up from the gaming room and i grabbed them if you want to you know whatever that stuff goes so far with the library crowd 
I am book folk. You know, I used to work for Barnes and Noble and they're, they're cousins to the retail book people for sure. And there's such a vibe of respect of somebody who's just willing to make sure they don't leave a disaster behind them. Yeah. yeah. I definitely. Run a lot of, I run a lot of groups out of my local gaming store and that's also doubly true there mm-hmm. where I will tell them that I like, we'll often come into a space and it's already dirty before we even showed up, but from mm-hmm. like either last groups or just, just daily life. And I always tell the group, like, we're leaving this place spotless. We're leaving this place better than it was when we came in. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want them to think we come and make a mess. And we want them to think we respect their uh, property. And also be super respectful. If you are organizing these groups, you are the de facto leader and representative of these groups. Everything that everybody involved in that group will reflect on you. And anything you do bad and turn these people off is a chance that you will lose access to spaces that you want to play. And this becomes Mm -hmm. infinitely more difficult. So be very respectful to uh, the other customers, to the, the, the places that you're at, be respectful to the library staff, try not to make too much noise. If you're playing in a space that you're having to share with other people, Mm -hmm. all of these things um, are, are very, very important and very easy to go out of hand if you're not prepared to do that. This is again why, and unfortunately, it does take a, a little bit of an outgoing personality type to to do this. And if you find yourself, you don't have that personality, make really good friends with somebody who does. Who does? Yeah, and do it together. It, yeah. this, this becomes also it becomes a lot easier to convince a third person to play with a group of two than it does to get hundred percent to play with a group of one at Gen Con. There was um, an, an indie um, adventure um, creator and that's all they did is just kind of system agnostic adventures that were a little zine sized. Mm-hmm. And this person was just this remarkable salesperson. And then there was this kind of like specter haunting the corner of the booth. And as I was talking, cause of course, you know me, I just start rambling and talking about all this stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to say the names of these zines because some of them were horribly inappropriate. I think I showed you one of them when I got back to the room, but um, the, uh, the gentleman finally admitted that he actually doesn't run the company. He is just a friend of the, the specter creator in the corner who can't talk to people comfortably. And so he's partnered with this super gregarious, like, super nice Canadian dude who was just like, so like connective and that's what you got to do. If you're, if that's not your skill set, find somebody who it is. And usually you can pay that person in, in miniatures, by the way. So if you're a 3d printer, you can buy their loyalty with minis okay. for sure. The other thing I'm going to say, and this is going to be hard to hear for some of you, you got to be welcoming and you got to be open. Mm-hmm. Do not gatekeep. Do not shut people out of your group. If you're in a public space, you got to be willing to let people play with you, especially if you're in a local game store. Mm-hmm. You're there as an ambassador of your hobby and um, poor behavior or nastiness. Like if you if you get like a really good um, friend group together, consider taking that group home. Consider taking that out of the space because if you're going to get like a closed loop play cycle and you're not willing to teach new players, not willing to explain the game to people watching it, you're going to give off a bad vibe and it's not good. And that's how you grow community. Any community that is not constantly gaining new members is a dying community. Absolutely. Because there's only so many games each of us have in us for various reasons, through burnout or um, incident. Uh, eventually, we will not be able to play these games. And like gaming groups lose people all the time to moving away, to just want, get, having other interests. Life family, stress. Yeah. Having family, kids. Kids have killed so many gaming groups. Uh, 
that you need to be welcoming new players into your group all the time to in order to just replace at replacement levels mm-hmm. it's just it's just like any other sim that you'd be playing you've got to keep replenishing that population or else it's going to die out and don't stress if it starts to feel too big there's going to be a natural mitosis point where mm-hmm. the people who have a certain play style or certain certain whatever are going to start driving and you will feel your group and it might be upsetting at first but you will feel your group divide yeah, when that and happens, just go with it. Just it's go with fine. it. Don't fight it. Just let it happen. Yeah. I fought my gaming group doing that back during the <clears throat> 4E Pathfinder uh, debacle, <laughs> and it, it it was very hurtful. Like, and and I should have just let it. Just should have just you know water off my back, but I did not, and I fought it, and it was just a mess. And I I do not recommend that at all. Right. Yeah. And besides people go people come back people's interests change people's availability change and if you handle an exit gracefully that's that much easier to have them rejoin the group in the future Uh and this is especially true if you're playing in the game store environment or a club environment where you know it is expected that you will play in public with other people watching in private environments this is a little bit different you still want to you still these all still apply but you're not going to have like even even in a public library space, if it's a privately booked area, you're not going to have too many people wandering in, going, "Ooh, what can I play?" Um, but in in a game store setting, you are absolutely going to get civilians that are going to be walking by, going, "Ooh, what's that?" And that's your chance to grow the group. The more absolutely. people, the better for most game groups. Yeah, David says, "I asked my friend if he's having another kid every time he tells me he wants to run D and D." Oh um, gosh. You know, that, that is some truth to it, but I'm going to say something. There's something beautiful happening right now because the gaming renaissance is with us. You know, think, mm-hmm. think Stranger Things, think Critical Role, think Henry Cavill talking about 40K and, and norm, normalizing or mainstreaming it, whatever it is. The community is just huge. It's, it's, it's getting bigger and there's so much energy. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing generational gaming now where people, their kids are coming to dad and being like, hey, you used to play D&D, will you teach me? And I think that is so cool. Like kids are learning, you know, Warhammer and stuff. And that used to be kind of like a, a rare, weird animal, but mm-hmm. it's becoming more and more like a normal thing yeah. to so see one these of my groups. Favorite yeah. games when I was running Pathfinder Organized Play was when a like a father-son pair would come in or a yeah. or a mother-daughter pair would come in and it'd be like, aha, this is fun. This is very fun. So one of my playtests for City of Seven Saras, one of the groups that did it in Norwestcon, um, dad and son, and then first son ever playing any role-playing game first time was my thing and he was playing with his dad mm-hmm. and i told them by the way as a surprise i am putting you guys in as a book so there's a little thing in that's like the circle of the tinfoil hacks is what they picked because one of them did a tinfoil hat joke thing but um so this kid and his dad are in my book like Aww. forever their first time playing is like in print there and i think that is so cool that i got to be part of that you know anyway so now that you've got your cool group and you've done the work, the uh, the other thing you need to do is consistency. Mm. Set expectations and follow through. Yes. I the the rule we usually had is if a game group missed once, ah, it happens. Mm-hmm. Like one week in a row, hey, things come up, things happen. Yep. Twice in a row, we're worried about the group. Bol- bolts are going to rattle. Mm-hmm. three times in a row someone's not coming back the group might not last like yeah. usually th- 
three times in a row means something is fundamentally wrong with the group. And Either a scheduling conflict or someone's not committed. Something, mm-hmm. Something's wrong. Yeah, and this isn't like an individual basis. We're talking about cancellations. And life does happen. Like COVID happened and my group didn't meet for two months. You know, that that happened. You know, um, things, things will come up. Mm-hmm. But you, when you put together one of these groups, the best way to make sure that it stays a group and continues to grow is just to meet consistently at a schedule. If you decide you're doing every other Thursday, make sure that it's a priority that you don't cross schedule things on it. Uh, especially if you are the leader of the group uh, that people are only going to be as committed as the person who put this thing and organized it together is the absolutely. Yeah. Um, another thing I'm going to toss out is if you're like me and you go through periods in life where you don't have a ton of people to play with and you bank up all these things you want to do. You want to do wargaming. You want to do like Kings of War. You want to do OPR. You want to do D&D. You want to do Pathfinder. You want to do all this stuff. Don't try to fire hose the new people with all that content. Pick a game and play it a few times before you move on to another thing. I call it system surfing. And system surfing, even if you're consistent as heck, unless your whole gaming group is as into it as you are, you are going to freak them out because the rules are going to keep changing. They're just there for beer and pretzel fun. And you are like, okay, now we're going to play Gloomhaven, you know, and now we're going to play. And like, you will lose players. You will drive people away because it's a lot. And you will have that familiarity from learning the system for studying it, getting excited and familiarizing yourself. They are introducing every time the first time. And it's, it's a lot to dump on people. Don't do it. Pick one and stick with it for at least, at least four or five games. Yeah. And and start and start with bite-sized manageable chunks first. Like if you're wanting to get a group for D&D together, start by doing a like a, a small adventure together first. Maybe a yep. pre-written can like a just a, pre, a pre-con that can do three or four sessions and then go and like in the first set of expectations right away. It's like, "Hey, let's try this out and if this is working out, we can play a longer campaign after." So, don't go in we're going to do Curse of Stride right away. It's going to so be like, many people. Gonna, we're going to do a little one shot to see if we're cool as a group. And then we're going to do curse of Stroke. I asked if, you know, like, Hey, you know, I said, uh, a TikTok about I've heard, heard some people had their first game with curse of Stroud. And I thought it was maybe like, you know, dozen, two dozen. No, it's hundreds of people that were thrown into that thing. Zero experience. I'm just like, ah, <laughs> that's a lot to ask someone to do, especially because it's also a long campaign. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times just, that book is not, thick enough to be as long as that campaign actually is yeah yeah absolutely it it is for sure and especially if you're going to go back and and bring any content from like fourth or or third or second edition you can make ravenloft games just massive and what people don't understand is you're like let's play a campaign of dnd and you're like okay i like critical role let's get you know wild mount or whatever Mm -hmm. those modules are commitments of like 30 to 50 weeks and if even if you're meeting once a week, that's like a year. And <laughs> like if you're going to play Pathfinder Adventure Pass, which are even longer, mm-hmm. uh, they're like six volumes of 120 page books. Um, that's a two to three year commitment to get through one of those if you play weekly. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people do not understand that at first. And so like I, I've recently had this conversation with somebody in my Saturday game like, we're, we've been playing for a year. I'm like, yeah, you know, you've congratulations. You're a new player, but you've been playing a year. You're an old hand now. And I was like, but we're sixth level. <laughs> yep. I was like, welcome to milestone experience, buddy. 
because if you ran like fast track Pathfinder, you would be a lot higher level than that. But anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. <sighs> well, even then, like those adventures go literally one to twenty, mm-hmm. and so that still takes a long time to get through the all twenty of those levels. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it, yeah, and, and like I said, with Milestone especially, like oof, can take a long time. Anyway, you mentioned Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven's great. That's a year of a commitment to play that board game all the way through. Legacy games, like you might want to start with something small, uh, to, to to demo. Like let's let's play Hero Quest for a couple of nights and then decide if we are going to commit. Sure. To this. Also, Gloomhaven's like two hundred bucks. So I would probably yeah. I still haven't ever bought it. It's been so expensive, especially if you get all the bells and whistles. So you start with like your Hero Quest and then you play Talisman. I think. And if Don't you can ever play... recommend people play Talisman, man. Why? It's a full night. It's just a big, long night. My local group uses Talisman as a way to haze the newbie. Oh, because it gets PvP at the end, you mean? Well, because it's fantasy shoots and ladders. Like, there's no real strategy. There's no... The game itself is just, like, randomness <laughs> to random. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think I've seen some strategies, but it's okay. It involves kidnapping a princess and a donkey. Mm-hmm. That's the strategy to win talisman. Okay, here's the secret: you want to win basic talisman. Make sure you get the donkey and the princess. They will not survive. <laughs> I just make sure that I can take out the other players if I need to. I mean, that's also true. It gets very PvP. It does, which is mm-hmm. that part is pretty bad for a new player. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were specifically talking about new uh, Gloomhaven, by the way. I I, I would not onboard a D and D player that way. I would I would just get them playing a very basic like one shot or three shot or minds of Findelver or whatever. Oh. Like there's a reason those intro get are intro they but exist. It's, but it's played so many times. <laughs> just make your own. Oh no, that's fine. There's plenty of there's fantastic starter games out there, mm-hmm. and they now have uh, Dragons of Stormrack Isle or whatever it is. There's there's other options. Minds of Fandelver has been done a lot. Unless you're going to go into the Fandelver campaign book that they just released or releasing, hmm. then there's a reason to play it again. But I myself have already played that like 17 times, I think. <laughs> so. And this also like whatever. I also recommend like if this is your first time playing a system, go get a pre-written adventure for it. Not even if you're not going to run the adventure. Those pre-written adventures are a way for the developers of the game to tell you how a game of this a campaign of this game is envisioned to run, and will it help you understand like what the possibility spaces are for the game you're playing? And one of the things I'm going to recommend if you're going to use pre-established things, do kind of look into what the game's ideal group size is. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are just like, 5 is just so easy. We're rolling over everything. We're doing this, you know, really hard module and it's so easy. I'm like, you have seven players in your group. That is scaled for four people. It's going to be a cakewalk. You have too many players playing the game. So, yeah. like, if you are playing with more than four people with a 5e adventure, you got to change it. <laughs> mm-hmm. My favorite way, my favorite group size for RPGs is three. Hmm. Three players in the GM. Hmm. Um, minus five but go on i like to hear reasoning it gives a lot of people it makes sure that everybody has a lot of spotlight time yeah i can see and it's make sure that uh and it's a manageable chunk where everybody gets to know everybody very very well um i find that four players is fine but at that point in time somebody is usually not getting enough spotlight time and any given group and anything beyond that is just like People are getting 
scraps of, of attention. So for me, four is actually the perfect size, but four is vulnerable to cancellation really bad. Five, you can lose a player or two and still run the game. Mm-hmm. So I, that's why I lean towards five. Four is awesome if everybody's committed. Mm-hmm. And if you've got people who show up every day, every time, you know, uh, then four is great. Three to me, sometimes you get really weird parasocial stuff happening or you have to have a DM NPC to get that four person balance, which can lead to some really unusual mm-hmm. things. I'm not going to elucidate that too much, but just remember, look at the, look at the box, look at, look at whatever the guidance is for your module figure out what that expected group size is and compensate for it. Because that's one of the things that people are like, I don't know. I bought this module and it didn't work and they all died. I'm like, well, you had two players. (laughs) You did a really hard module with too few people and they all died. (laughs) That's not, that's just math. (laughs) It's not your fault. But when you, when you're prepping for these games, Mm -hmm. it's important to prep well. And if you've got a 3d printer, you can 3d print some amazing things for these games. Mm -hmm. Don't overdo it. If you, especially if you're traveling. Oh, definitely. You're traveling. Yeah. Like, Hey, you've got this awesome terrain set where you can build the entire dungeon. You can build curse of Strahd's castles one-to-one scale and like have every single room. And like, how are you getting that to the game store? How the, do you have like a dolly to pull that into the library? If you're yep. playing at your own house, do you have the storage that this is going to take? Like these are all things to take into consideration. Also, you don't need to print every possible monster in the module before the first session. You no, know. print a little bit beyond what is realistic that they will encounter. Definitely, um, you know, and pick your battles, you know. Uh, we've talked about how full wall dungeons can actually be kind of obtrusive to some players. So maybe just take a back wall run just that gives that extra bit of flavor, you know, or if you're even going to take that much or use paper terrain for your dungeon or mm-hmm. tiles, really simple stuff. Uh, foam craft tiles are good. Mm-hmm. And actually there's this product. I was trying to look it up because I can't remember the name of it right now, but they're just boxes <laughs> that look mm-hmm. like dungeon rooms yeah and they're just boxes and they're stacking boxes you get a whole bunch of them they all fit together really nice there's actually a little room in the middle that if you put some padding down you could probably even fit your minis in it Mm -hmm. and you could just carry the box and that would be that one little cute box maybe slap a dm screen on top of it and go yeah yeah for for monsters just print the monsters that you're going to need for the session you're doing in the session after and get them ready to go yep for terrain especially getting started especially if you're traveling print like a bunch of pillars to to mark out the corners of rooms yep, and then doors to mark out the entrances and furniture um you're going to want tables you're going to want weapon racks you're going to want treasure chests you're going to want monster bed rolls or like things to, to to signify where people sleep uh and also you know think in mind that was for a fantasy or dnd like like run through the that equivalent thing for whatever setting that you're, you're yeah. playing in one of the things I'll recommend for both D&D and 40K and whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, ruin corners, just mm-hmm. the corner pieces that are ruins. Mm-hmm. You can use them to find runes. You can use them to just use a scatter. They're mm-hmm. super useful. They're very easy to paint up and look fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of tutorials about there about literally just black, zenithal, dry brush, highlight, and you're done. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's so easy to get, like, really fantastic looking trains, especially, like, the, the post-apocalyptic 
um, you know, rusty looking stuff. Fantastic. So, absolutely. And also, don't if you're just now getting started or just getting things together for the group for the first time, don't overcommit what you intend to do. Uh, like TPK terrain says, uh, speed paint is a must so fast. Yeah. Don't think that you need to have your Warhammer army painted like a golden demon award. Yeah. But don't think that you have to have every single monster exactly right. It's, it's okay. If you just come with a bunch of chess pieces and the only miniatures are the player characters. Mm hmm. Um, no, that, that's fine. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, Bless Samifudge says uh, making small scatter terrain and deployed barricades. Going to get some four inch coasters and make those a playmat. I mean, that's a great idea, honestly. If you just got like, there's a lot of those just kind of like flat coaster mm -hmm. setups that you could totally turn into makeshift tiles or terrain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So I think. I think we give you the advice. Uh, thing, other things you can print to like help get people hype is if it's an RPG and one that can be supported by a custom creator, such as like Hero Forge or Eldritch Foundry, uh, get them to send you the file, like get them to make the, the models and you print their model for them. Mm -hmm. that'll, help, that'll help tie them in and start getting them engaged in the things right away. Yeah, the process um, of making it and possibly painting it. Um, also, there's a lot of really cool just minor accessories like um, spell trackers that are just like a little pegboard and you move your your spell slot stuff. It's great. Really visual for new players. Yeah, little hit point counters are always loved in just about whatever game you're playing. If mm -hmm. you're doing a war game, get like all the you can get all the correct tokens to mark all the correct things and the objective markers and the wound trackers and stuff. That's also great. If you have an FDM, I've seen some really and you could probably do it in a resin, but I've seen some really nice little just name tag holders where you just mm -hmm. skill frame and that way your new players can just slide a piece of paper into it and it just says like, you know, Tom or whatever or has mm -hmm. a character name. And th that's super handy too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially like little small things that they can keep as little keepsakes will mm -hmm. help endear you to the players and help them remember the game outside the game. Yeah, I almost always send them home with their minis unless, mm -hmm. you know, there's a darn good reason. Like if it's pregens for a con, I'll, I won't do it. But otherwise, and actually we had that experience recently where um, the Eldritch Foundry minis for the for Tales of the Valiant were oh, sent yeah, home with those us. Those are really cool. And yeah, really they're great minis. It was, we talked about it the entire con, and I think it was brilliant for them to mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. And build that community that way, right? All right. Well, that is bringing us to the end of the topic. Anything you want to shout out to before we bounce, I Kristen? I do. And I kind of wish I had caught this uh, last week, and I didn't. I'm super sorry to listeners for this. Um, if you go to Epic Miniatures Patreon, mm -hmm. they are now having a public-facing post daily of a free mini. Ooh. And it, they have an immense backlog, fantastic sculpts. And they're just giving them away and they are even to non-patrons. So uh, daily, if you check in with them, obviously they're going to show you one of a set of three. And so you're going to be tempted to go buy the rest of the set. I get it. It's smart, but they're giving them away every day right now. And it might just be for this month, but definitely go check it out. Um, knowing them and their uh, ridiculously massive offerings, I wouldn't be surprised if they're just giving them away <laughs> for the rest of their duration. Blasted Samuflage asks, would you recommend if you run a game giving the player the mini of the character they played? Would that be a good time to use non-painted minis? Yes, uh, I do. Some caveat here. If you're printing a mini at home for, for people to play in your game, print two copies. Mm -hmm. Let them take one, and when they break it or forget it, you have the second one. 
I always do this. I usually print two and I actually do a reverse pose print. Um, and I do one for them that's like a take home. I do the painted one for the, the game. I do a primed one and I offer them to come paint it sometime mm. because I also want to get them into painting because as much as I love painting everything all the time, I could use a little help. Yeah, and some people want to paint the minis that that's they're super excited about that. But to other players, it's a chore. Ask them what they want. Don't assume. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and that will do it for us. If you enjoyed what you hear and want to hear more, you can find more at printyourgames.com. We're also on all the socials, the Twitter, the Facebook, the YouTube, where you can find us. And until next time, I'm Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. I'm Kristen Sowers, also known as Seventh Mastery. And don't forget to use your screen protector. <laughs>